it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to this special Canada Day edition of the Prospects Baseball Show. My name is Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell, the head coach of the Eminent Prospects is with me as well. And we're going to be speaking with Davis Pratt, third baseman for the Prospects, a little bit later on in the program. But Jordan, uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, we are both uh, decked out in our uh, you know Canada red gear today. Are you guys doing something special with the uh, the look yeah. this year? Yeah, there's uh, there's a new, there's a jersey for us. Uh, it looks tight. Um, I think that uh, the the cool reaction is when the when the American guys see the jersey because you know, I mean they don't know what this is all about and and the reactions all been super positive. They're pumped to wear it. They're excited. They, hey, this is really cool, Skip. Uh, so that's good. We're I'm happy for that. Uh, you know, hopefully a couple of them will, will find a way to have their parents win that jersey auction happening today. So there is an auction there is for an those auction. jerseys. Yes, sir. I'm going to be bidding on one, okay. and uh, I think it'll look cool. Um, you know, maybe we'll take down the David Beckham shirt, uh, yep. but it'll uh, look pretty cool in the in the Marshall. Have you here. seen the, the the specs on this? I have oh, not, so that's why surprise. I'm looking forward to coming tonight <laughs> and uh, bidding on these. Yeah, so, perfect. so people can bid on them during the game. Yeah, there's a there's a live auction and be on the like the main concourse area there. Uh, not sure which side it's, uh, it, but it'll be up on that walkway up top. And uh, if you if you can't find it, you're not sure, you can go ahead and ask uh, one of the volunteers that w- that's down at the front gate, or go to the souvenir stand. Yep, for sure, uh, where well. you can buy uh, Edmonton Prospects uh, clothing and and things like that. Uh, so w- we should um, we should talk about uh, I guess the 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 reaction, like you mentioned, of the American players to what Canada Day is going to be like. Because listen, we know Americans do July 4th really, really well. But for a lot of them, they probably don't think Canada Day is that big of a deal maybe because they, they're not, they don't understand the culture. Uh, now they will tonight. Oh, for sure. This is, uh, this is crash course in Canada. 101 is going to happen tonight. Uh, uh, it, it's a super special event, you know, and, and, you know, I know there's lots of cool things going on across the country, but uh, Remax Field is one of those things on the list of, you know, top ten things to do in the country on Canada Day. Uh, the, the the whole town uh, is is in the River Valley. You know, there's a there's a good portion of Edmontonians that come down, and and the fact that we can put on a great show before the fireworks for them is is special to us as an organization. Uh, we cherish this day uh, from from. You know the the top down everybody that's involved in in our organization really looks forward to this day. That you know people are at the ballpark right now setting up and working hard to make this as enjoyable as we can for our fans. Um, it's we get flooded. You know, I mean that we we double sometimes more than double what we're what we're normally used to handling three four thousand. And uh, you know what you know we really look forward to that challenge. Um, you know sometimes the lines will be a little bit longer. That's just kind of the nature of the day, but. Um, we do our best, you know, everybody's working their butts off to, to provide that entertainment value for our fans and, um, to put, uh, to put it in perspective, it's, uh, you know, like 
Davis will allude to later on. Uh, you know, this will be the most people uh, that most of our guys have ever played in front of. And, and the fact that they're cheering for us and they're here for us and to enjoy Remax Field, which is a, a, the, the crown jewel of the River Valley. And, and to see an awesome fireworks show from the city of Edmonton is something that they will remember forever. And so here's a couple of ways to get in touch with us or to get your tickets. You can always email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and we'll have some contests for you to be a part of later on. On Twitter, we're at prospectspod, at jordanblundell4, at duckmillard, at edmprospects. Of course, we have a Facebook page. You can check out prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And for all your tickets and uh, anything else, schedule, all that good stuff. It's prospectsbaseballclub.com. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. Okay, so it's Canada Day, and uh, you guys are coming in to this uh, homestand um, on a bit of a high note, uh, specifically compared to last week when we were talking but you go two and one this past week to stay within a game of 500, win, lose, win. <laughs> and the loss that you suffered, you were no hit. No. You were no hit. Now, you saw a perfect game from your side last year. Um, what was it like to be involved in a no hitter from the other side against you? Oh, that's good. Thanks for bringing that up, man. Uh, well, that's what this show <laughs> is. Uh, it, was, it was weird. I, I really didn't realize it was happening. Um, their guy was good, man, you know, and, and it's one of those things that as the game went on, he got better and he was already good to start. Um, you know, we, we just weren't able to get anything going. Uh, one of those days, I guess, uh, I, I was thinking, trying to think back. I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever been part of the no hitter on the receiving end. Um, yeah, it, it's whatever. We, we kind of checked it down pretty quick and moved on as uh, the next day showed uh, we came out came out and you know the first two innings we didn't get a hit so then you started hearing some murmuring on the bench like somebody break this up <laughs> you know we want to get this done early because that's a good sign though that guys are like pissed off a little yeah, bit. yeah right? yeah yeah exactly and, and you don't want that second game to get into the fourth or fifth inning without getting one now and now you're gonna be you're gonna be sawdust coming off your bat you're gripping it tight and you're trying to be that guy and that's not what hitting is about it's about loosening up and and uh, letting the game slow down for yourself. So uh, really cool to bounce back off that the next day. But, you know, full tip our cap to that guy, man. He was a dude on the mound against us. Uh, you know, we battled. We competed. Um, you know, he just found a way to to not let us get a hit. Um, we hit a couple balls hard. Uh, they made a couple errors on balls that, that probably were outs, uh, but at the same time were hit very well. And then, you know, honestly, Dino, the two outs in the ninth inning, uh, Tyler Maskell hit an absolute rocket right out of guy to preserve the no hitter. So it always seems in those kind of, those kind of outings, there's always a story of that where, you know, you hit a ball right out of guy, or there's that game robbing play that Mark Burley had with Dwayne Wise that reached over the wall. Like, oh my goodness. Uh, so yeah, it happened kind of weird. Well, yeah, it's, it's rare. Um, <laughs> uh, at, at, at some point when you're not managing this year, you may look back and unless you have to tip the cap to the other guy For to sure. throw a no hitter. So, um, uh, what about the other two games, the two wins, yeah. uh, you know, the, the no hitter against you is a big focus because that's so rare, but the most important aspect of that road trip 
were the two wins, uh, the bookend wins. Bookend wins. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going there. Uh, you know, the first game we we came off the bus, uh, pretty smooth trip, frankly, to, to Weyburn. I don't know if that's uh, possible. Uh, Nine hours or something like yeah, that? Yeah, roughly. Okay. Uh, you know, we got there, you know, had a good time on the bus with each other and, um, you know, prepared to play and, and came out and, and played a good game. We uh, scored a little bit, then went down 6-2 um, and then found a way to scrap. Uh, had a big hit by Javi Ramirez. It, it went, went the other way for a home run and answered back on them immediately, which is maybe something that we haven't done a ton of this year. Uh, we were able to answer what they did. We tied it up and, uh, you know, a couple balls went our way, which, you know, honestly, I, I, I think that that hasn't happened a ton for us yet this year. So that's a good sign. Um, you know, a couple, a couple things went our way and, uh, we were able to preserve the win. Uh, I, I think it was a eight, six final, you know, our bullpen came in and, and Zach Harrington flat shoved, um, just absolutely gave us what we needed. Uh, came in there and shut her down, uh, and through multiple innings of very quality relief, uh, kept them off balance. They, they weren't able to do anything as the score indicated. We held them at six for, I don't know, six, six five or six innings there. Um, and then we closed it out and, uh, the final, the finale, kind of a weird game, uh. We got up, uh, we had a big three-run home run from Trav. Uh, Travis Hunt uh, pulled the ball out of the yard uh, to, to give us some breathing room. I think it was 3 nothing at that point. And uh, we had kind of scraped and had some good at-bats and found ways to push a ball through the infield, which is something that we want to get better at as an offense, and we were able to do that. Uh, so we, we had scored a run, I think, in the third and then put a five spot up in the fourth. We were up 6 nothing. I think it was a seventh inning, and uh, our starter was absolutely dealing. Uh, Trevor Berg from Henderson, Nevada. Uh, Trevor put on a show, uh, put on a clinic of how to pitch. Mixed speeds, in and out, up and down, different pitches, work quick. Uh, fielded his position. It's called a PFP, pitcher's fielding practice. Made a play there. Um Really, like honestly, you know, I was as much as uh, as I am the coach. I, I was a fan watching him do his thing. Um, got touched a, uh, uh, in the seventh inning with the solo home run, so it's six one. All right, you know, okay, that's we we still got the lead here, and but you you never want to give up runs. So as we get into the the eighth inning, uh, we go to the bullpen. Uh, Trevor's day is done, and and uh, they're able to get a couple guys on, and and. You know, push a ball through the infield to make it 6-2. And then their three-hole comes up. And uh, I'm not going to lie, he's a monster. And, and that's a good thing. Uh, he's a big boy and he hits the ball a long way. And, and he's, <laughs> he's he hit the ball a long way on us. Make it 6-5. Uh, so now we're in the bottom of the eighth inning. It's 6-5. Uh, so we go to our closer, David Wiley. And uh, David comes out and, and shuts the door. So we get into the ninth inning. We weren't able to do anything on our side. And, and Dave comes out and, and goes one, two, three. It's all done. That's the win, 6-5 win. And so, um, you know, really good. For, I, I'm really happy for the guys. Uh, the bus trip, you know, after a win like that uh, is a little bit more fun than a loss if we're being real. And that's just the reality of competitive sports. Um, so it was a fun trip home. We had... Uh, we had a little uh, team bonding on the bus uh, with the guys. They maybe got a little bit of karaoke going on there for a bit, um, which was which is pretty funny. And uh, now worst, we're here. What was the worst song? Oh, jeez. 
Worst song. Uh, our leadoff guy, uh, I think Grayson Grayson had a little bit of trouble with his song uh, to, to lead off the karaoke. Uh, but but our guest a little bit later on, uh, Davis Pratt, had a, had a song he did a great job with. Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't told him this, and I'll tell him a little bit later, but he, he might have a future in, in singing. <laughs> he might have a potential career there. Um, but uh, a couple guys put on the show, Dino, you know, it was really cool. Okay, so you're uh, kicking off Canada Day, uh, and your opponents hail from, if I can read the card correctly, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Yes. Ensemble number 32, entitled Omar Sharif, and modeled by Chief's Defense Man, Billy Charles Boy, who hails from, if I can read the card here, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Of course, that's from Slapshot. Um <laughs> I don't think you guys are watching Slapshot on the bus. We used to watch it on hockey trips all the time. Yeah. But uh, uh, with uh, the Moose Jaw, uh, the, they're not the Warriors. Uh, that's the hockey team. Yeah. But we used to do the uh, Warriors come out and play all the time. Yeah. But uh, this is uh, Canada Day. It's fun. It's exciting. But you also have a ball game to win. If we were talking hockey, we'd say there's two points on the line here. Yep, for sure. Uh, you know, every day is a new day for us. We're, we're really focused right now on taking care of the task at hand, not looking too far ahead. Um, you know, we've talked about what today means in the city and, and what that's like for our franchise and, um, the guys are aware, uh, there's nothing really that you can do to prepare for this. Um, and, and there's nothing that you should do differently. It's, it's a baseball game. It happens to be a ton of people, um, hopefully, uh, coming tonight and it, it's just an opportunity to enjoy the game that you've worked so hard uh, your whole life, basically, to, to get an opportunity to, to be a part of a team that has this happen for them. Um, it's special, for sure, but you know, at the end of the day, we've got a bunch of guys that, that have been there and done that. Uh, they've gone through big games. You know, Every guy on our team has played in the championship game, you know, has, has been the guy that's come through clutch when they, the team needed them, and um, we have that experience. So if you do need something to draw on, you, you can go back to what it was like when you were – you know, pitching your team into the, the, the Little League Championships or, you know, you had that big hit in the playoffs in college or you, you struck out the side in the ninth inning to close it down in your provincial championship or your state championship. So, you know, those are the memories that when they happen that you can rely on later on in life and today probably be one of those days for the guys. Um, you know, our opponent, you know, this is kind of a weird thing, is it, they're they're going to be jacked up. Sure, of course it's they were. It's their opportunity to do this kind of thing. And, they're a Canadian city. And, and spoil spoil our day and, and, you know, give it to the prospects on this big day. And so, you know, they're going to be excited over there in that clubhouse, and, and we know that. Um, you know, it's, at the end of the day, you got to you gotta uh, throw the ball, you got to catch the ball, and you got to hit the ball. This is a simple Throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! Baseball's a simple game. Uh, by the way, I threw in the uh, lollygagger uh, the speech last uh, <laughs> last week when we were doing it. You're in a much better mood, by the way, because uh, you're a little bit uh, tense uh, yeah. uh, l- l- with uh, last week. But I love the lollygagger speech. Uh, okay, so you have the three-game home set with Moose Jaw starting today. And, of course, uh, all information at prospectsbaseballclub.com. You go to Medicinat for one, then Okotoks split home and away. And then, of course, uh, the All-Star break. Uh, and then you're back on the road next week. Yeah. But uh, the, the the schedule is important. you got a lot of games this week. And then you have kind of like a, 
a, a bit of a carrot on Sunday. So it starts with a big game today, ends with the All-Star game on Sunday, a whole bunch of important games in the middle. I know it's one day at a time, but as an organization, you guys are hosting this All-Star game. You have to be excited about next Sunday, not forgetting yep. all the games in front of you before then, but you have to be excited. Uh, you're, you're the head coach and you're looking at one day at a time. You're the AGM looking at this event on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a little bit of a balancing act, and and I need to need to thank the the staff that's in place that have really helped support me um, on some of the little things on the business side. Uh, you know, obviously we've got uh, a pretty close knit group uh, working hard to to have a great event for the All Star Game. Uh, we've got some great sponsors and partners with that, and and. Um, yeah, we are looking forward to that for sure. It's an opportunity for us as a franchise in Edmonton with the prospects and Remax Field to showcase ourselves league-wide, uh, showcase ourselves to players from the league that are from all over North America and beyond. Uh, it's, an, it's an important part of what we see as the future of our uh, league, the WCBL, and, and for us to take the lead on this project and, and really try and do something special to showcase the players in the league and showcase our league at the grand stage with a, with an all-star game and a home run derby is, uh, you know, we've, we take it as a privilege. Uh, we're grateful to get this opportunity and, um, we hope that, uh, we're able to put on a good show for the fans. We hope the fans come out and, you know, uh, experience and enjoy, you know, what the, the whole league has to offer and, and maybe get to see players in a little different light. Um, you know, we get to get to see their talents on display from from all the teams because not all the teams end up coming here with the way our schedule works. Uh, so it's a it's a really good opportunity for our league to, you know, take this and and produce a, a great quality uh, game like we do at home with Icy Video, uh, and, and get that out to other markets, get that out into the U.S. Have college coaches see what our league is all about and see the quality of the players and. You know, uh, uh, hopefully the, the 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 reciprocal of doing all this work is that our league continues to grow and, and get better players and attract better players. Well, I know people are watching uh, the stream that uh, Rob Zitlow over at uh, ICU Video does on YearTV.com. I know people are watching because I've had parents of your players uh, send me messages on Facebook and say, this name is not being pronounced or this town is, you know, the information. Yeah. So that's, I love that. I love that your, your, your parents are watching. And, um, I think it was, uh, maybe it was Travis Hunt that we had in here. He said his, you know, family gets together for like viewing parties yeah. and stuff. And, uh, and that, that's really, really cool. So, uh, the all-star game next Sunday, home run derby at two Matt stairs is in town. Uh, for that weekend, that's going to be huge. Hopefully, he goes in the home run derby. He hinted in our interview uh, that he was doing <laughs> it. So, prospectsbaseballclub.com is where you can find all the ticket information uh, for the All-Star Game next Sunday, 2 o'clock home run derby, 4 o'clock first pitch. And, of course, tonight, 7.05, first pitch for the Canada Day game against Moose Jaw. And uh, there's a concert. After the game the and boys. the whiskeys, yep. and there is uh, yeah we we the, our ten year old goddaughter is uh, with us and we're like yeah we're taking to to the whiskeys tonight she's like I'm drinking whiskey no no you're gonna go <laughs> to the baseball game and then you're gonna go and watch this band and then of course fireworks yep. uh, after the best seat in the house let's get right now to a little history class and this is uh, things that uh, took place on July first in baseball history. Canada Day, uh, 1917. We kind of had a similar one of these last week, but 
The Reds' Fred Tony pitched two complete games in a doubleheader. Both victories over the Pirates allowed three hits in each game, the fewest allowed by any pitcher winning two Major League Baseball games in any day. Another 18-inning day. I could use that on my fantasy team right now, Dino. <laughs> Man, any manager that, you know, like it's just like guys go six innings now and they're like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm you're done. done. Uh, 1917, same year, uh, also on the same day, in contradiction of a state law, the Robins, which became the Dodgers, played their first Sunday Major League Baseball game in Brooklyn. And the owner and the manager were arrested. Wow. But escaped with fines. But you could not play baseball on Sundays back in 1917. Uh, and you, there were no night games. Yeah. So that would have been really, really tough uh, yeah. if you ever got a, a bad rainstorm for a week or two. <laughs> 1920, Washington Senators legend Walter Johnson, yeah. um, you know, very, very famous pitcher, no hits the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park, the only no hitter of his career. Great career seems to be that he should have maybe had, yeah. you know, not, not saying no hitters are easy, but he, uh, dominated. he was one of the best yeah. pitchers of all time. So it's weird that he only had one where Nolan Ryan has seven. Yeah, no kidding. 1941. Uh, last week we talked about uh, a good hop keeping Joe DiMaggio's streak alive. Yeah. Uh, on his way to 56, on this day, he tied Willie Keeler's 44-game Major League Baseball hit streak in a win over Boston at Yankee Stadium. Uh, and when we do these uh, this day in history, there's going to be a lot of Joe DiMaggio uh, leading up to that game number 56. Um, and we've talked about this as well. I, I don't remember who it was we talked about. Um, oh, it was Ted Williams when he went to war and missed some time. 1945, Hank Greenberg, the, the first Major League Baseball superstar to come back from World War II, homers in his first game. Uh, so that's pretty uh, wow. poignant. And and you just you you look at some of the numbers that guys had. He's take a, you take away those four prime years where they went to war, where you could have had, you know, four, three or four more 40, 35 home run seasons. Some of them could have been awesome. Uh, Eighty two, Cal Ripken makes the first of his record two thousand two hundred and sixteen consecutive Major League Baseball starts at shortstop for Baltimore. So nineteen eighty two, Canada Day, Cal Ripken starts his streak. That's a pretty cool. Uh, I guess a uh, legend and listen, we're doing a uh, first baseman a little bit later. Um, there's another Iron Man. I think it's going to come up quite a bit in that. And this is just for us year 2000 when our country was celebrating its 133rd birthday, a Canada day pitching matchup featured, uh, Ryan Dempster of the Marlins up against Mike Johnson. There it is. From our, from our neck of the woods, uh, Sherwood park. Uh, yeah. Mike is from, they, they say Edmonton, but we know it's. Uh, Sherwood Park. Um, so it was in Montreal and cool. uh, Dempster beat Johnson. Uh, so the Expos lost, but uh, that's pretty cool. I'm going uh, to no, bring that a, up with Mike here. I'll see him uh, in a day or two. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, that's pretty cool to have the, uh, yeah, right. the all Canadian matchup on uh, Canada Day. Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. So how baseball memories works is it's simple. You send us a baseball memory and um, if it's one that uh, gets picked, then you and a friend could be watching a prospects game from a suite 
August 3rd, Fan Appreciation Day, and one of you could take batting practice before the game. So this could be a memory of you watching, playing, coaching, uh, anything, anything. Play, you know, like there's, I've got uh, memories stashed away of uh, playing with ghost runners. That was some of the best <laughs> memories I can have uh, growing up playing baseball. So send us your favorite baseball memory, and you can do that by emailing us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Give us your best memory, and you could be watching a game from the suite. And here's the thing. I've started to contact, uh, you know, I've uh, pursed through some of the suggestions and some of the submissions, um, some of the ones that I've really liked, I've contacted. We only have two spots left. So four spots have been filled for this um, six-winner night, a fan appreciation night where you get to watch from a suite and somebody from your group can take batting practice. I, I love some of them are like, uh, I tore my rotator cuff, so I can't take the BP. And <laughs> you're I'm bowing like, out already. Yeah, you're, that's a good, but at least you have a good baseball injury uh, to, to go along with this contest. So we have four already. So if you want to get in on this, email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and you could be watching a game from a suite. So my memory today is, I don't know when this was, but uh, in the early 80s, uh, the Blue Jays d- used to travel with uh, some of their prospects. Like, like Jesse Barfield was not going on this. Uh, George Bell was not going on these <laughs> tours, right? Okay, it was like guys that you probably didn't know back then because there wasn't the internet and, you know, prospects. You had to go deep into, like, Baseball America magazines to find out who these guys <laughs> were. Uh, but one of the guys that at Winnipeg Stadium, they, the Blue Jays stopped in and they played a game against somebody and they had like, uh, you know, home runs. They were hitting batting practice. So one of the guys that I didn't know at the time, but he hit a mammoth shot, I remember, was Cecil Fielder. The big daddy. And it was so cool years later when, you know, he went to Detroit and started really mashing. Uh, another guy that left Canada too early. Uh, we have lots of those guys like Randy Johnson and Pedro and everybody yep. else in Montreal. But this is the Jays that, uh, you know, didn't get the most out of Cecil Fielder. Uh, he went to Detroit, mashed, but this was not him. But knowing that I watched him uh, in a, a bit of a different place, Winnipeg Stadium, the old Winnipeg Stadium where the Bombers played, um, it was cool that day just seeing, like, I thought they were the real Blue Jays. I had no idea. Like, I thought, oh. Yeah. This is the Blue Jays, right? And uh, this is their whole team and yada, yada, yada. Um, and, but knowing that I watched Cecil Fielder in Winnipeg Stadium in the early 80s hit home runs was, was pretty cool. So that is really cool. That's my, uh, that's my baseball memory today. All right, I've got uh, kind of I'll tie into that with some, some batting practice and memory. So um, I was involved in an academy here in, in uh, Edmonton uh, after I finished grade 12. I w- I'm a late birthday, so I stayed back before I went to school. And the team I was with, the program I was with, took a, a two-week trip to Toronto. So we played in a couple of tournaments there. Got to, I got to play in Sky Dome, which was, was super cool. And um, but, but one of the things I remember was, so we went to uh, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays game. They were in town. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to be there for batting practice. And, and to this day, that's something I enjoy the most is watching big leaguers prepare for the game. Um, so I was up in like the fifth deck behind home play, like as high up as you can get, where it almost gives you vertigo looking down and, uh, watched Jose Canseco take BP. And it was unbelievable how far and how many balls he hit out of the ballpark and the sound it made all the way up to where I was sitting 
And I could have gone down further, but it was just kind of one of those things I wanted to witness it from that high. So Jose Canseco put on an absolute light tower rocket show. And then to contrast that, Wade Boggs, Hall of Fame third baseman, 3,000 hits. Wade Boggs' BP was a clinic on how to hit a baseball the right way. Literally, Dino, he went foul pole to foul pole. Every ball he hit was, you know, no higher than 20 feet. And all of them went out of the ballpark from foul line to foul line. And he went across the field and then came back. And, and, and I was like, as I was blown away with his ability to control the barrel, his, his level of contact, and the fact that these line drives, like none of these were fly balls at all. They were all screamers, you know, 340 to 400 feet. Like it was target practice, like he's Robin Hood shooting arrows. It was it was unbelievable, super cool to watch, and uh, it's a memory I'll never forget. You know why Wade Boggs is one of my heroes? You like chicken parm? No, because he could beat the shift. <laughs> really? Like yeah. he's one of those yeah. guys. Like the other day, you sent me the video of, was it Matt Carpenter? Yeah. Bunting on the shift. Double. And a, a double. double. Yeah. He beat the shift. That's what I loved about uh, Wade Boggs. Um, Ichiro, you, you look at any of these guys, you couldn't play the shift on Wade Boggs. No. He's just going to destroy you. I think I think baseball and the unwritten rules of when and how, you, like, you, you, at the end of the day, I, I think the rule of winning takes precedent. And as a player, I don't think you're willing to give up pitches so the other team can beat your team. Uh, so conversely, if there's a way to beat their opponent, uh, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? And, and, you know, maybe at the big league level, it's a little different because, you know, uh, a guy in the middle of the lineup like Jose Canseco is not bunting because he can't bunt. He, he's just not good at it, and it, it, it's pointless. So, yeah, you shift on him. But if you're a guy that can handle the bat and you can put a bunt down or you can allow a pitch to travel and you hit behind the shift, why wouldn't you put that as part of your game plan so that your team finds a way to win, which then leads you closer to the playoffs, which then makes your franchise make more money and your fans go crazy and you sell more jerseys like this is all part of and tied into winning a baseball game so if there's a way to do that because the other team's given you an opportunity to take advantage I don't understand why you wouldn't I get that you know Justin Smoke's not a bunner he's not going to do that but other guys are like that that could take more advantage of that shift and you know I think we're going to see that soon here do you know Hopefully we do. Uh, so a good baseball memory from both you and I um, um, on uh, July 1st as we celebrate Canada Day and both of our memories uh, involved being in Canada, you in uh, Toronto, me in Winnipeg. Uh, but there's another guy who's not Canadian who has um, 1.19 million great memories of July 1st, and that's Bobby Bonilla. Every Canada Day, yeah. Bobby Bonilla gets $1.19 million from the New York Mets until 2035 because of a deferred payment plan. The you know, greatest you know player what, agent ever. Do you know what Bobby Benilla should He should be a financial advisor. And he's like, yeah, just sign one of these long-term contracts. They'll pay you uh, over a million dollars every July 1st. It was, uh, it was a crazy situation. It's one of the weirdest deals I've ever heard of, uh, but... He gets that for another 16 years. And Bobby, when did Bobby Benilla retire? Like a long time. 10 ago. years ago? Yeah, it, at least. At, more. at least 10 years. So it's it's incredible some of these deals. But uh, Bobby Benilla has great memories of July 1st. 
Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Excited to bring some local flavor to the show now with a uh, local player from from my hometown of St. Albert, uh, just outside, of course, Edmonton with the Edmonton Prospects, as we have Davis Pratt, infielder for the Prospects, joining us on the program. Thanks for making the long trek out to St. Albert, from (laughs) St. Albert. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a 10-minute drive, so not too bad. Excellent. Uh, Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about... um, Growing up in St. Albert, we've had a lot of American players on this show so far, as you guys have a, a lot of, you have a lot of American teammates, and they talk a lot about uh, growing up with the national pastime in the States, and baseball was their focus. You grew up here in the heartland of hockey. Uh, what was growing up sporting-wise like for you? Were you always baseball? Were you uh, hockey and then baseball? What was it like for you in, in a hockey-dominated uh, city? Well, obviously living in uh, Canada, I had to I had to play hockey from a young age, but it was always hockey and baseball, hockey in the winter, baseball in the summer. Uh, but it it my my love for baseball just overtook hockey, and so I dropped that I think in when I was around thirteen. So and then I took up track to help with baseball, but everything was focused around baseball, and then finally I just skipped to year round baseball. So Jordan, that's probably a situation you can relate to and a lot of players in our neck of the woods go through. We had Matt Stairs on. He wanted to be a hockey player. We've heard the story of Larry Walker who went to a Regina Pats training camp, got cut, and then, oh, maybe I'll take up baseball and became, you know, the greatest Canadian baseball player ever. So you can relate to that kind of story growing up in a hockey mad area and, you know, loving hockey, but also transitioning to baseball because not everybody can play hockey. Yeah, no, for sure. I can relate to Davis with that. I played both growing up and um, I ended up playing uh, hockey a little bit longer uh, into my grade 12 year, but there was just always something about baseball and and going to the yard and and the camaraderie with the teammates and um, like the 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 setup and the, and the practice and the pregame is all different. It's a different sport than hockey. So those were things for me that I fell in love with and um I'm grateful to have had a chance to coach Davis actually before this summer. Um, I've had Davis uh, in the Prospects Academy and, you know, he's one of the players that uh, you you just know loves the game. And um, to to get a guy like that at a young age and get the opportunity to coach him through grade 11 and 12 in, in the academy and then see him play in summer ball in St. Albert at Legion, Legion Field there, uh, he's just a player that you, that you want to be around, and and uh, he's he's really blossomed into a productive college player at this point. I'm guessing by your birth date, you don't remember a lot about the Edmonton Trappers, if anything at all. Did you hear stories like what do you know about the history of baseball in in Edmonton from what you know maybe your dad has told you or things like that? Um, to be honest, all I know is uh, the Edmonton Capitals. I've heard okay. stories of my dad going to the Trappers games, but the only thing I remember is the Capitals. So this is kind of neat because now we have this generation that, you know, doesn't remember uh, uh, such an amazing, productive pro baseball time, but yet they're able to make their own history now with the Eminent Prospects. We all love AAA baseball, but I think we can all admit that ship has sailed and it's probably not coming back. So now let's make some new history in Edmonton with baseball and you're a part of that and, and, and now Davis is a part of that and for kids like that. Like we remember the uh, the trappers as such, and, and I wasn't here a long time for the trappers, 
but for them, it's now time to, for them to make their own memories for other Edmontonians. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I saw Davis in the stands last year as, as a high school player uh, watching some games and um, the program that we have running helps build a bridge for the youth in this community to, to find a way to the next level. And, uh, you know, that, that's invaluable. The importance of that in our community is huge. And, and like you said, Dino, you nailed it. You know, AAA was awesome. You know, it's uh, a ship that's been, that sailed away and, and there, there isn't a big body of water anywhere near Edmonton. So it's probably not coming back realistically. And uh, we've worked really hard to not replace the trappers because nobody can do that, but to, to create new memories and create uh, a new product for fans in Edmonton to be able to enjoy and support and, um, you know, our ability to, um, you know, have local players blossom in the minor baseball systems to the point where they can play at this level is fruits of our labor for sure. And, and we're excited for that to continue and for that growth to, to grow even further. Now there's a ton of players from this area that, that aren't on our team that are in this league because of connections throughout different programs and, and where they went to high school, maybe they went to an academy outside of our area and whatnot. Uh, so the reach is actually greater than just what, what we have on our roster. There, there's been a lot of uh, influence throughout this community on players uh, uh, that, that have ended up on other programs. And, and you know, we obviously wish them well. Um, and, and we're looking forward to seeing what the future holds for this community as far as baseball is concerned. So you went to games, uh, you watched games in that beautiful ballpark. What's it like to uh, play games? I'm sure you've been on that field before. Uh, this year, but in a prospects uniform of games you went to watch, now you're now people are watching you. What was that first game for you, for your family? What was it like uh, to be a part of this team this year? I mean, last year we usually went to the playoff games because those were the most exciting, but it was definitely pretty intimidating. I never once came close to playing in front of that many fans, so it definitely it was uh, it was a big change from playing in front of 100 people to 3,500. So it's it's uh, it's definitely nerve-wracking. You don't want to – but you, you don't want to really mess up. But, uh, no, definitely the fans kind of keep us going. They keep us uh, engaged in the game, and they really help out our team. And kind of I think the other teams aren't really uh, used to playing in front of that many people. And so that kind of that kind of takes an effect on them. But it really it uh, adds to our game. Your buddies probably think it's pretty cool that you're playing at this ballpark. Yeah, for sure. The other, all, all my other buddies are playing on the Tigers and here in St. Albert. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's cool. It's definitely a it's a good uh, it's a good experience. Jordan, you talked about Davis playing, and and you knew him a little bit before. Uh, you know that makes it so much easier to approach him to come play on your team than a phone conversation. You know, last week we were talking about. Uh, you're, you're chatting with Hunter Boyd on the phone, and uh, you have baseball in common, but you don't know a lot about him. With Davis, you've, you've got the whole book on him. Uh, what was it that you saw in him during the academy days that you thought someday he might make a good prospect? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a combination of a few things. There's, there's obviously baseball talent there. Um, I really like Davis's offensive game, his approach, uh, his mindset as a, as an offensive player. Uh, maybe he's not the fastest player on the field, but he runs the bases as if he were one, and, and that bodes well for his ability to score runs. That's an interesting point. There is speed and smart base running, oh. and there they, they, you can be you can be fast and a smart base runner. 
Um, but if you're fast but not a smart base runner, I think you're going to get called out more than if you're a smart base runner that isn't fast. Does that make any sense? 100%, okay. you know, uh, your, your instincts, your reads, your jumps, uh, your decision making, mm-hmm. all plays into speed, uh, baseball speed. You know, if we get out on the track, there's guys that are going to be faster than Davis, uh, but put him between the lines and his ability to read plays and anticipate, <clears throat> excuse me, his ability to anticipate uh, provides him an extra little jump on things. So we love that part of his game. Uh, D- Davis kind of grew up as a second baseman a little bit more, and then uh, his last year in the academy, we saw him play third base. Uh, we moved him over there. We thought that would be a better fit for him long term. Um, and and it, it, from all accounts and, and the visuals look good, uh, Davis has taken to the position. He's a player that uh, is, is going to keep the ball in front. He's going to make plays for you. Uh, playmaker on defense is so huge at the, at third base too, because you know balls come off hot over there, and, and the more balls you can keep in the infield and make plays on, the better. Because if it gets by you, there's a there's a good chance it's a potential double uh, down the line. So you're you're really a doubles preventer, and Davis has done a great job with that. And um, you know it's 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 exciting to be around uh, youth players like Davis that that come through a system that. You know, show the desire and the hustle and the heart and the work ethic, all those little intangibles that you want to put a check mark by. You know, Davis is one of those players from day one that uh, myself coming into the program, you know, kind of later on in Davis's high school career, you know, I, I'm coming in with a fresh view. I, have, I don't know the player at all. And, and those are the first things that I see in a player. And, and those are popping out uh, for watching Davis play. So, you know, I really enjoyed coaching him. I'm, I'm really proud of him. He went down to school and uh, it's not easy going down to a school and and competing to play and and getting through your first year and finding ways onto the field and and I'm not surprised Davis did that he played a ton down there and and uh, you know obviously there's more good things coming for him here in in his college baseball career. Yeah, you attended Cloud County uh, in Kansas. We're going to get to that in a second, but the hot corner it's called that for a reason and especially when you're playing on turf. Uh, I like, I don't think people realize, and, and I've had the, the pleasure of being out on your field. I took uh, batting practice from Tommy John, who was the, uh, the pitching coach at the time. And we got to, uh, you know, field some grounders and some, some fly balls in the outfield to see what it was like. People have no idea how fast that ball comes <laughs> off that turf, especially if you're on third uh, with a righty that turns on yeah. one, like the difference between turf and a field, just maybe try to explain it for people. God, well, I've I've never played on a field that comes that nearly that fast. So, but I don't mind it because it's for me it's a lot easier just to body up a ball than having to have the time to think about the play over at second base or even shortstop. So it's kind of just feeling it, even getting it off the chest and then throwing it across. So, but no, definitely that's uh, it. It was a huge change playing on what we had a grass infield down uh, down in college, but coming up to pretty much concrete. Mm-hmm. With a little bit of turf on it, so <laughs> yeah, those but, ones off the chest would not feel great. Uh, tell me do. about the the academy. Yeah, uh, you know what was it like for you? You know, when did you first think that you could go to uh, and, and participate in a baseball academy? Which you know, like I grew up, there were not a lot of that. There were not a lot of baseball academies around. So, what was it like to be able to participate in something like that and try to pursue your dream as you go? Yeah, that 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 academy is uh, I will cherish forever that was a, a a huge reason I was able to go down 
go down to the U.S. and play college baseball. But, yeah, I started out in the junior prospects and one, one day wanted to get up to uh, the gold team. But, yeah, the coaches, uh, JB, Sean, Cam, Lavarado, everyone, Taylor Burns, like they were – they all got me to the place that I am today, so I've I have them to thank forever. So, all right. So you attended uh, Cloud County, uh, the T-Birds, your freshman year. It's in Kansas. Um, I have, I had a friend from uh, Brandon that I grew up with uh, that went down uh, to to Lawrence, Kansas, to to go to school, and um, it he talked he talked about the culture being so much different than um, you know where we lived in in Brandon. Was that the biggest uh, or the toughest thing for you? Is I don't know how many guys you knew on the team before you went there, but going to a brand new place at a young age in a different country uh, where the culture is a little bit different than, than here in St. Albert. Was that the, the toughest thing to adjust to in, in your college year? I mean, for me, I, I had it a little bit different than uh, all the other guys because I had two or three friends go down with me. Oh, awesome. So it was nice. I had, a, I had a roommate that I already knew for several years that also played in the Prospects Academy. But, yeah, it, was, it took maybe about a couple of days before – we started to get pretty tight on the team because our, our coach just reinforced culture every day. So we by the end of the year we were we were so like we were very strong, had a great culture, and that's what he tried to implement from day one. So, so it's interesting. You guys have Jordan, um, you know, a bit of a Yale pipeline uh, that that we've discussed in the past, but you also have a connection with the T-Birds and and your your team as well. And 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 we have discussed this for you recruiting players. You know, Davis is the, the the rare exception where you know the book on him. A lot of the times, you're getting the book from these coaches and building relationships. Uh, tell me about the relationship that the prospects have with the T-Birds. Yeah, it's a it's a solid relationship. It starts at the academy level. Um, they're they're a program that has shown interest in our high school players, uh, rightfully so. Among other programs, too. Um, yeah, it's a two way street, isn't it? Much as so. much as you're recruiting players to come play for the prospects. They're also recruiting your players that have come through your your program, so the relationship gets built both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure, and that, that's to our advantage for sure in the league. Um, you know, Okotoks has a similar situation, uh, but uh, we're, we're different than the other teams um, in the sense that we do have a pipeline of high school players that are pursuing college baseball that uh, ideally and eventually want to play in this league, and. Our ability to help uh, train those players and prepare them for when they get to school and, and have them be able to be successful when they get there is a huge thing for us. And it creates a relationship with the coach that signs our players and brings them down for their freshman year. Um, and, and you want to foster those relationships. So we have a good relationship with coach down there. Um, we, we've spoken a few times um, about other players outside of the, the local connections and you know, at some point, I'm sure we'll, we'll end up bringing up some other guys from that program. Uh, but you know, it, it's something that, that we hold dear to, to us as well in the academy is the culture. You know, with kids in high school and, and lots of different things happening within their lives here, it's, it's a little bit different. You can't replicate what going to a junior college and, and being center-focused on baseball 24-7 is like on a, on a small campus. You know, not, not small in the sense that you know, small in the sense it's not University of Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can really breed that um, that attitude and mindset into players where, you know, in an academy format here, you know, we, we definitely talk about being hard to play against and working hard and the things that we know college coaches down the line will value from our high school players. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's not for every player here in Edmonton and in the academy. 
Um, some of the players, uh, you know, just uh, at some point decide that, that they don't want to pursue that in, in that sense. And, you know, we support those guys too. You know, it's, it's, it's about finding a way and a path to the education. If you can use baseball to help offset costs through scholarship, it's great. We want you to pursue that. We appreciate that. But if that's not what you want to follow, as, as I mentioned, U of A is a pretty good school, Grant McEwen. Some players end up wanting to pursue schooling more seriously following grade 12 and, we love that about them too. You know, it's a, it's an important part of what this is 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 the education, and um, it's cool that Davis has gone down somewhere where he he feels uh, welcomed and and has made a a name for himself as a freshman, has given himself an opportunity to go into his sophomore year and and do some damage. Uh, there's actually a, a kind of a cool connection uh, for Davis is that you know his dad played baseball as well, and, and maybe we should we should ask Davis about kind of what his dad went through and maybe some of the lessons that he's learned um, from the, from the old man, as they say, uh, to prepare him outside of what we tried to help him with uh, through the academy. Well, let's go there then. Uh, what what uh, what has your dad meant to your uh, your baseball career? Um, w- you know, what do you know about his baseball career? Uh, well, I always hear stories from my grandpa about him, uh, playing on the Pioneers, which, uh, was over in Sherwood Park, coached by, uh, Coach, uh, Brownie. So, uh, but no, he's, he's, uh, he's always been there throwing BP across our, across, away from our house and in the green space there. And he's always helped me late at night whenever I, my swing wasn't feeling right or I wasn't confident, he'd always just be there to uh kind of fix that real quick but uh yeah no he's uh I've heard a lot of stories from him uh playing down in uh, uh Indian Hills there and so yeah it was uh he says it was a great time he loves it he uh yeah it was it was a good time for him you know I I did not uh play baseball successfully other than as a kid but I remember playing catch with my dad in the backyard and you know I'm 43 now and those memories mean a lot more to me than when I was 19 or 20, but uh, you know those are the, those are the times you're going to cherish as you get older. Is remembering, you know, talking baseball with your dad, whether it's on like a drive back from a game or, or playing catch. And it sounds like you appreciate them now, but as you get older, those memories are, are more and more important. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. He's uh, we we, we talk uh, every night. Pretty much 90% of our conversations are uh, focused around baseball, and uh, it's everything from the mindset. He gives me books to read. He he tells me what he's gone through, what he uh, what he did when he was in a slump, or what he thought when he was uh, doing well. And so that's really that's really allowed me to kind of mature mentally as a as a hitter and an infielder. So uh, yeah, it was he's been he's been a huge part. Yeah, it's a cool built-in resource to have that uh, you know Davis's dad has kind of been through the grind and. and you got somebody that you can bounce ideas off of, which which always helps for sure. Uh, David, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you know outside of the academy, your your high school summers with uh, the St. Albert Cardinals program in Samba, and uh, maybe maybe what it meant to you to to play at Legion Field, and and uh, what it meant to you to play for Coach Houston and the and the Cardinals there in your last couple of years of high school. Yeah, that was those are some of my favorite and best years of baseball, especially the last one where we were able to take home a provincial championship. But uh, yeah, coming up through Samba, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to play baseball anywhere else. It was great facilities, great people, and uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, but Cam Houston coming in through uh, or coming up through Midget with him, 
he was he was great for me he he taught me a lot he was also in uh prospects academy and so that was a that, that was a big kind of milestone for me going from Bantam to Cam Houston obviously I was very nervous going in because he he can be a little tough but uh no I definitely matured a lot through uh playing for him what are you taking in college uh criminal justice what that's uh, the last guy we had Hunter Boyd uh wants wants to go into the uh the criminal justice uh, field as well so you guys have uh, something in common what what makes you want to get into criminal justice where do you want to eventually go or do you know yet uh, I do, I, I definitely, my end plan is to be a police officer and kind of do different, uh, go through different units and that. But, uh, it, it first came from my grandpa. He was, uh, in the RCMP and my other grandpa was also a military police. So it, hearing stories from them, hearing how they liked it and, and uh, seeing what they did with their life really made me from a very young age. And I've never wavered kind of go into that, uh, police or law enforcement so you guys had a day with the, uh, was it the RCMP that you had a day or the Evidence EPS, City Police? Yeah, EPS. So what was that like for you wanting to get into that? Uh, that must have been pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I've i always wanted to, like we've had, a, I've, I've gone to a different, uh, different uh, what's the word? Uh, training? Training. Tra- job training, shadow type stuff? Yeah, job okay. shadow things down at the uh, RCMP things. And we met a lot of cool people, even did kind of, a mock uh, training course, so what they have to go through before they before they become a police officer. So five five a.m. runs and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it was great. It was I love the people, so it was it was really good. So you're playing baseball uh, down at uh, Cloud County in Kansas, and we talked a little bit about the, uh, the the difference in culture, but the baseball is different probably than you've played. You know, I all the time talk to junior hockey players or, you know, players that are playing in midget then then they make the jet, the jump to junior eight or the WHL. And it's like, wow, this step up is, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, but I'm sure it was awesome to be in a place where baseball is, uh, you know, number one and people are going crazy about it all the time, but the, the level is a step up as well. So it's a couple of things to get used to for you. What was that l- transition like for you into a, you know, a massive baseball culture, but also a step up in play? Yeah, no, that was, uh, that's, I was really worried about that going down. I was uh, very conscious of that, but a great thing our coach did is our practices were focused around slowing the game down. So he'd speed it up in practice so that when we did come to a game, it'd be, it'd feel like normal and it'd be slow, it'd slow down. And, uh, so yeah, the, the way practices were, uh, were managed were, it was, it was all, uh, focused on slowing the game down to make sure that we can, uh, kind of play at our own speed, be confident. And, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that, that that's a that's a great uh, strategy for for a college baseball coach to implement is is slowing the game down. Um, you see that a lot of times um, when a freshman turns into a sophomore and he goes back down for his second year in junior college, the game will inevitably slow down for you if you put your work in um, and, and and your reads and and your mindsets and your decision making will all become a little bit easier and your your focus will be a little bit sharper. Uh, you'll have been through this before. Um, a lot of times, honestly, uh, Dino, you, you see kid, kids have their career year and their junior year, um, and that's kind of when the, the final part of the game slowing down happens for collegiate players is, is they go into their junior year, they've been there, they've done that, they understand the, the schedule, they know how to time manage, you know, they have to, they have school and other commitments that they need to take into account plus all the training that you need to do and by your junior year you really have done it all 
and, and you're focused and you're motivated and you you want to come out and, and do great things and, and you put all that into the blender and it produces, you know, a lot of times your career gear if you're healthy. It's kind of funny when you get into your senior year, you're, you're brimming with confidence and you feel like uh, you're untouchable and the, the world's your oyster, and, and which it is, but um, a lot of times you see a little bit less numbers in your senior year, but the amount of clutch goes up. When you're counted on the most, you deliver. Um, and, and I've seen that time and time again from players from this area and also former teammates and, and players that I've tracked through summer ball and, and into the college. You know, their senior year is kind of that you put a letter on their chest and you, they're the guy taking the face off in the last minute type thing. And you're, they're the guy that you want up at the plate uh, with the game on the line and, and down by a run. And, um, you know, Davis is well on his way to, to getting to that point. Uh, you know, his, it, it'll be fun to watch him, uh, track him this year when he goes back down to school because they're going to they're gonna rely on him to be a leader of sorts, um, whether it's vocal or whether it's um, showing incoming freshmen how we do things here at Cloud. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Davis flourishes in that role as well. All right, let's uh, wrap up on tonight's game. Um, you saw the crowd on opening night and how cool it was. Uh, hopefully... It'll be something that, like that tonight. But as a Canadian, what will be playing on Canada Day? What will it be like for you? Uh, that'll be that. That'll be big. Uh, the biggest thing is because the it'll be a lot bigger crowd than uh, opening night. And so what kind of what JB said? It's just another game. You don't want to let the uh, the hype kind of get to you and ma- make you nervous and kind of throw you off your game. So the biggest thing is I think I'm just gonna try to take it as it's just a normal Saturday or Monday Monday night game. So, uh, yeah, just making sure that you kind of stay composed and not let the not let the situation get to me. Enjoy it. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the fireworks and enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks, Davis. Thanks a lot for having me. Play ball! Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. And of course, in Take Me Out to the Ball Game trivia, we have to go uh, Canadian, and uh, that's exactly what we are going to be doing. But here's how it works. So we want to send you to an upcoming prospect game, so we'll have a weekly trivia question uh, with the winner getting a pair of tickets to an upcoming home game. Uh, email us your answers, if you think you have it right, to prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and uh, we will get in touch with you if you are correct. Uh, so has to be Canadian on Canada Day. So the trivia question is, Ferguson Jenkins holds the record for the most wins by Canadian pitcher in Major League Baseball. Who is number two? Um, who do you think is the the most successful Canadian pitcher? You can take a guess at it uh, as far as wins when it comes to Canadians behind Ferguson Jenkins. I'm not going to tell you if you're right or okay. not, but uh, take a guess. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking Dempster. 
That's a pretty good guess. Only four Canadians have won more than 100 games in their career, and one guy was stuck at 99. So it oh. could have been, uh, been five. Well, if there's a number to be stuck at, why not, Wayne? That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's our uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game trivia. Ferguson Jenkins holds the record for the most wins by a Canadian pitcher in Major League Baseball, who is number two. Last week's trivia answer and uh, question, what team did Babe Ruth hit his first home run against? It was the New York Yankees who he would eventually go on to uh, become part of uh, Murderer's Row with Lou Gehrig, who I think is going to come up later on in our discussion of the greatest first baseman of all time. It's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. Fantasy baseball time. And uh, Jordan, it is getting down uh, to a very important part of the fantasy baseball season for a lot of people. The fish or cut bait time. You know, do you still try to go and make the playoffs or do you start selling off? I, I finally had to tell a guy in my league, Justin Verlander is not going to be traded this year. <laughs> like I've got him for another, I've got him for this year and next year yeah. as far as a contract. Um, if I'm at the same position next year, yeah, I'm going to be trading Justin Verlander. Well, actually, no, because I can re-sign him. So, but I'm, I had to tell him I'm not trading Justin Verlander right now. Uh, but where are you? As, you know, I won this week and I snuck into the final playoff spot so far. Um, So I'm there right now, but I don't know how long I'll stay there, and I don't know how long I'll last once the playoffs start. Well, Are you getting close to that fish or cut bait in your league where it's either like I'm going to either start loading up to make a run or selling off? Because I don't think you should stand pat ever. I think you should either be loading up or selling off every season. Yeah, and you, one or the other. Yeah, great point. Uh, I've kind of been in the middle ground here a little bit uh, the last two years. Uh, I had a huge week. The offense came through. I had a great, great uh, bullpen relief from my SPs and RPs that have dual position availability on the pitching staff. And a uh, huge week. I, I got the win, which felt good. And, and last week I was robbed at the end of the week by double E hitting a bunch of bombs on me. Um, so status quo for me, I'm not selling. Guys are still asking about Freddie Freeman and a couple of, of my other guys, uh, but I've been working hard on the waiver wire, Dino. It's uh, it's affected uh, real life and, and real work and, and trying <laughs> to figure out a way to, to get a little more offense on the team. And I picked up McNeil, who for some reason was available. He's the all-star outfielder with kind of a utility guy with the Mets. He's just a flat hitter. Uh, and I needed help with the batting average and the OPS, so that was a great pickup. And um, Alex Verdugo in LA, mm-hmm. he may still be available in some leagues, maybe not. Uh, I snapped him up. He hit a bunch of bombs. And you know who's actually saved my fantasy season, Dino, is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Yeah, you talked about picking him up a while ago. I've been just absolutely laughing at at the production that he's brought to the table. So it's kind of almost flipped my season where I was, there was almost no chance for me to make a run. Uh, Now I've added a couple of bodies and and it's injected life into the the offense. And, um, you know, I had a big win this week. I'm eight weeks away from the playoffs. Uh, we start like basically September ones when the playoffs go. Um, so we'll see. Um, I'm going to stand pat here and see if I can put a run together. I think I'm in 10th. I need to get to 6th. I'm within striking distance, but I need to put a couple weeks together. 
So Max Muncy's been a hero for me. Uh, a lot of Dodgers have been really good this year, yeah. but Max Muncy, I, I made the trade um, a little while ago, and I love him because he has so much versatility as far as the position. Uh, he's an older player that's really coming to his own. Three home runs, 12 RBI last week, and uh, his OPS 1.021. And like that's what that's how you win. That's that's what wins you weeks is like a standout performance like that. And like I said, there's not a lot of Dodgers right now that you can say are terribly disappointing, uh, but it leads me to my next question. It's not about Max Muncy, but who is the fantasy MVP so far? And I said it leads me to my next question because Max Muncy's teammate has to be up there, if not the choice, in Cody Bellinger. Uh, Christian Yelich is there. Mike Trout we've talked about in the past. So uh, Sports and More, uh, another podcast that comes out on Podcast Alley. It's, it's actually out right now. I had Jamie Thomas from Jets TV on the program on the program, and we do a fantasy sports segment. And I asked him the same question. I go with Bellinger, not just because he's a Dodger, but he sure. has <laughs> vi- versatility. Yeah. He can play outfield. He can play, I think, first base, yep. and I think he play utility. Whereas uh, you know, Yelich is awesome, and Mike Trout, they're awesome, but they only have the outfield and the uh, the utility. That's why I give it to Bellinger because. Versatility is a lifesaver at times in fantasy, especially if you run into injuries. Well, like you think, have to have multiple position yeah, players. I, I think the best teams and the guys that win those leagues, you know, they have the two and three designated spots for sure. Uh, the fact that you can have Belly play in the outfield, if that gives you the ability to have a top five or top eight first baseman, uh, now you've got potentially two MVP candidates in, in your in your lineup in fantasy baseball. And, um you know, the production from first baseman, if you get one of the top guys, I mean, you're, you're laughing. You know, I, I would love to have Belly exactly for that reason because I have Freddie Freeman and I have Alonzo. So, you know, if one of them has an off day, I can get some speed in the outfield, maybe pick up a couple stolen bases on the right day. I can move Belly to first base when one of those other guys has an off day on the schedule. And, um, you know, and I think it kind of be- makes it a little bit more fun for managers too. Uh, when when you take into account the off days and who's hot and who isn't, and you can move a guy from first to the outfield, you know Muncie play him at second today because he's rolling. Your second baseman's cold. Pick up a different guy. That's what makes managing fantasy baseball so fun. Are you in a daily? No, it's a week. Okay, yeah, okay, week, week to week. I I was in a daily league once, That's and right. I was like, this is too much, man. Yeah. I I'm not a real major league manager. I don't have time. I have a job. Yeah. It, it was sports. It was covering sports, but still, I couldn't say to my boss, I can't do that story today. I've got to research who my starting shortstop is going to be. Yeah. I, I I was like, this is too much. So we I'm in a weekly. You set your lineup for the week, and listen. I think a daily fantasy league would be awesome if you if I had the time. Uh, when I retire, I'm just going to play nothing but daily yeah, fantasy yeah. leagues. Because I'll have the time. So you talked about Lourdes Gurriel being a big pickup. For me, Mike Fires, one of the best pickups I've made. Wow. Pitching with Oakland okay. through uh, the last no-hitter, I believe, in uh, in Major League Baseball. I think it was uh, last year or earlier this year, actually. Yeah, this year. Um, seven straight quality starts really? since I picked him up. And five wins. He's still available in mine. I keep looking at him like, ah, nah. You've got to pick this guy up. Like, he's <laughs> been nothing but awesome. The A's have won seven of their last 10. They're a half a game back in the wild card, so you know he's pitching in competitive spots. They're seven games back in their division. But Mike Fires, I'm telling you, 
I'll listen. Pick this guy up. (laughs) Seven straight quality starts. I don't know if you guys have that in your league, but five wins. If you're getting five wins out of seven starts, you're loving that. And most of them are going to be quality starts. Yeah, like to pick up wins, I think the weekly, you know, in my head-to-heads, it's usually five or six gets you the win and gets you the points for the head-to-head on the wins. Um, I've got a bunch of relievers that are kind of random. You know, maybe they come in and pick up a win. Uh, starter, it's tough for starting pitchers to get wins. So if you have a guy that's getting wins, that's a that's a huge bonus for your for your pitching staff. I'm gonna do it. You know, I'm gonna look into getting him. Got to get on him. And uh, obviously injuries, uh, they can crush the 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 most uh, impressive built yeah. team. Yeah. It doesn't matter how great your team is if your guys are hurt and. You know, guys are going through it. Gary Sanchez hurt his thumb yesterday. Trevor Story on the IL with a thumb injury. He did start a rehab assignment on Saturday, so he could be back, and uh, he was in AAA. Marcelo Zuna of the Cardinals, uh, multiple fractures on his uh, fingers. He's out uh, three weeks, likely. Um, You know, this is the time where you're cruising along, and then in one weekend, you lose two middle infielders or something like that, and they're like scrambling. scrambling. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, I, I've been fortunate this year. Uh, I've got one guy on the list right now, Adelberto Mondesi of the Royals, and he's my big stolen base guy, so he's really important to the to, to my fantasy team. But I've been relatively healthy, knock on wood, and um, I, I feel good about the lineup I've got going forward. So hope hope all stays well there. we got some guys that are absolutely on fuego, and uh, they're swinging it. So if my pitching staff holds up, I'm, I'm hopeful to make a little run and sneak into the playoffs. Because once you get in, it's week to week. The best guy, like you said, might run into Mike Trout's dinged up or his best guy's dinged up, and, and you guys are healthy, and you sneak a win, and you, you move on into the money rounds. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Bonds with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. In all-time team, it's pretty simple. You decide who is in your all-time team. And we're doing this position by position, but we want you to send us your all-time team to prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com and by the way all of this information can be found at prospectsbaseballshow.ca that is uh, our our website and of course you can get ticket information for the Edmonton Prospects at prospectsbaseballclub.com but prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com is how you email us your list and this is the list we want give us uh, either a best or a favorite, or both. Either the best players at each position or your favorite players at each position. Uh, do all the uh, uh, fielding and a relief pitcher and a DH as well as a, a starting pitcher. So 11 in total. Email that to us and you could be on your way to the Winter Banquet. And of course, we'll have more details about that phenomenal event uh, as we go along, but let's not let's not think about winter too much. It's Canada Day. Let's celebrate the boys of summer. And and our all-time team today, Jordan and I, we do it by position. And so we started in uh, right field, went all the way through. Um, we did shortstop and uh, second base, and and those were our favorite positions growing up. So it was kind of cool. Today we're doing first base, and I never played a lot of uh, first base. Um, 
you know, is is first base that typical decision that uh, you 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 might be a DH, you might be a first <laughs> base, but um, you know, is that stereotype of a uh, big, slow, bad defensive player going away, or do you think that's still sticking around in baseball eyes? Yeah, you know, I think when when I was growing up and, and yourself, you know, you kind of always like the, the Cecil Fielder type that's guys right. there. So I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to frame it this way. I think that uh, as much as Cecil Fielder maybe looked the part of the stereotypical first baseman, uh, I, I would be shocked if he didn't have really quick feet, if he didn't have good athleticism and flexibility. He didn't have a ton of range, obviously being the size he was, so there's no conceivable way he could play the outfield or a shortstop. But at first base, you you still need athleticism, but you can manage the amount of movement that's required to be good over there. I'm not suggesting he was a gold glove type guy. But picking a ball out of the dirt it's just, is it's not easy. No, no, it's not. And, and uh, the footwork associated with leaving your defensive spot, getting to the bag, having the proper footwork to get yourself in position to receive a throw is something that's overlooked as a skill in the sport because, you know, you just, hey, the big guy that can't move is at first base. Uh, but it's it's a, a lot more complicated than that. Now, is it as complicated as being a shortstop? No. Uh, but the value of having a, a, a player at first base that can handle the bag with his feet and handle balls in the dirt with his hands uh, absolutely saves your pitching staff and wins you baseball games. So when we talk about the best first baseman of, of all time, a lot of the names that come up from, you know, the older generation, and I'm talking about in like the 1920s and 30s, <laughs> you hear names like Jimmy Fox, yeah. uh, Lou Gehrig, and Stan Musial. And quick story, Jimmy Fox in uh, Stratomatic Baseball, as I told <laughs> you about, I had uh, Hack Wilson, and I traded... Hack Wilson to uh, my friend who, so what we did is we drafted teams like, uh, so I'll take this team, this team, this team, and then you combine a team out of the four major league baseball teams. Good idea. He had the Yankees. I traded him Hack Wilson. So then he went Gehrig, Ruth, Wilson as his three, four, five hitters, like ultimate murderers role. I got Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons and Lefty Grove back, which are legendary players. I needed pitching, but it was a terrible mistake to do, uh, to load up. So th- those are the names you hear about. And I'll just go with this. I, I, I really tried to make a case for Stan Musial being the no. best first baseman of all time. And it's, it, listen, the guy won three MVPs. He won three World Series, career uh, average of 331, uh, 475 home runs, uh, almost 2,000 RBIs. And he did play uh, left field and uh, right field and center field early, but he was uh, a lot of times uh, a first baseman. And this is what, I don't know how you are with wins above replacement, war. Love it. It's a huge stat. His war, his offensive for his career, was higher than Lou Gehrig's. So I almost went with Stan Musial, but listen, Lou Gehrig has uh, very comparable numbers, uh, triple crown winner, same similar numbers, uh, higher batting average, and the Ironman streak tips the the contest in favor of Lou Gehrig. I tried to make Stan Musial the best first base, but I can't ignore the Ironman streak. So this might be anticlimactic, but I think we're both going with Lou Gehrig as the best of all yeah, time. Yeah, you know what? Uh... I took pride in being a guy that, that was on the field um, and played through some things. You know, obviously grew, grew up in the Cal Ripken 
uh, era and, and remember watching that game at Camden Yards when the streak fell. Um, there was always something, and I've, I've just always loved baseball and loved the, the history of the game, and there was always something about Lou Gehrig uh, and his story of, you know, Wally Pipp taking a day off and Lou Gehrig getting put into the lineup, and then 20 years later is the, the next time somebody else plays that spot. It's such a fairy tale, and, and, and it's crazy to think that that's what happened. Um, I loved his offensive game, looking at his numbers and reading on his history and, and you know what kind of player he was. Do you know he, he had doubled the walks than he had struck out? Um, his OPS is over 1,000. Uh, he, he, the 2,000 the RBI uh, group is, is select, obviously. Mm-hmm. It, it's an astronomical number in the sport. He was five RBI shy of that. Um, and, and literally he couldn't have played anymore to get there. That's you're right. Yeah. Like it's, uh, <laughs> he played all the time. He played every single game. <laughs> um, you know, like I love, I, I, and, and the number I chose to wear, uh, number four was, was Lou Gehrig's number as well. And that, that was part of it. It's not the whole reason, but, but I love what he brought to the, to the field. And then, you know, the, the, obviously the speech he made, uh, when when he ended up near the end, he was of his diagnosed career. with ALS. Yeah, um, the, which the, you know, like I didn't know what ALS was. Yeah. I knew what Lou Gehrig's disease was. Right. I didn't know what ALS was. Yeah, um, just just uh, an outstanding human. Uh, what he meant to the sport back then, and and then you know, obviously, what happened to to him was was sad, and um, he 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 decided to to take that situation with grace and 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 honor, and and tried to lead lead from a position of uh you know unhealthy as, as his his life was deteriorating he kept trying to be a leader he was he used his notoriety yeah. to to help raise awareness so it, it, what a great role model that would be to have is somebody that was always ready to go willing to go to work showed up for work ready to go um, and then took the mantle when when he became physically challenged and and continued on to, to try and help others others lives so that's my favorite of all time, do you know? Best of all time. Best. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Best uh, of all time. So before we get to our favorites, I'll ask you about two guys that we did watch. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols? I got I got Pujols. Um So and and I think that's interesting because I think people look at Albert Pujols now and and don't remember the uh first 11 years of his career where he was the, the best of his generation. And then there's Miguel Cabrera who won the triple crown for the first time in 45 <laughs> years. Yeah, it's a, quite the toss-up that you have there, the Triple Crown guy. Uh, they both have World Series rings. Um, I remember when Albert uh, won the first one with St. Louis way back in the day. I think it was 05, 06. I, would, I remember I was driving down to Jamestown, my old school, to... Tony totally LaRusso was managing Yeah, that team, yeah, yeah, to go and visit. And, and I, I was listening to the game on, on the radio through Saskatchewan. And, um, man, what, like, what a difference maker he was. Uh, consistent... Uh, dangerous um the the absolute definition of what a middle of the order bat is obviously he's a hall of famer um and 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 he did it the right way you know there was you know he played through some injuries he was uh outstanding member of the community uh he gave back wherever he could um he he's so well respected in the game today um and and you know the the other player that you mentioned miggy um, you know, comes on the scene at 19 and wins a World Series with the Marlins. Has a, a rookie hist- of the year, historic at bat against Roger Clemens in the playoffs. It's on YouTube. That you know, for a 19 year old to do that to one of the greats of all time, 
Um, you know, obviously was foreshadowing what his career was going to be like. Um, the, their ability to slow the game down, uh, which is, is something that we, we spoke to Davis about, uh, helped separate them as they came into the big leagues. The game didn't speed up. Uh, they were able to slow down in the moment and just execute their game plan. The fact that they hit a bunch of home runs is, is you know, obviously real, uh, but they also had a bunch of hits through the middle and through the other side that, that y- you don't see shifts on those guys. They're complete hitters. They can go the other way. They can hit a ball through the other part of the infield, and, and you know, if you make a mistake, they'll make you pay on the pull side. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I, I just, uh, like, I feel so blessed to be able to watch some of the, the first baseman that we have. Now, we didn't oh. get to watch Jimmy Fox and Lou Gehrig no. uh, or Stan Musial, really, other than on uh, some rare video. But some of the first basemen, like Mark McGuire, you know, like, because, you know, you could say what you want, but uh, he was a... Uh, Pretty dominant first baseman yeah. at some point. Um, okay, so when we come to favorite, um, I have a toss-up, um, and and I actually let Davis uh, choose it for me because uh, I have John Olerud or I have Fred McGriff, both Jays. The thing that's interesting about John Olerud, we remember he flirted with 493. He ended up hitting 363. That's the only time he hit over 300 in a season for the Toronto Blue Jays, other than his first season when he had six games. Yep. So he went like 265, 256, 284, 363, and then dropped down. And then didn't hit over 300 until he was with the Mets in 98 when he hit 354. So a career batting average of 295 is is good. I think it is pretty good. But when you look at, the time he flirted with 400, you would think he had more than just that. Um, so I love John Olerud. Uh, and you know, I, you know, I think a lot of people were looking at it saying, wow, this guy's unique because he wears a, a helmet out in the field. And that's because he had a, a brain injury where he yep. had to uh, protect his head. Uh, so I'm going with Fred McGriff for a couple of reasons. Um, I love the crime dog nickname and he hit home runs. Um, his They're first bombs. full season with the Jays, he hit 20, then he hit 34, then he led the league in 1989 with the Blue Jays with 36 home runs. His OPS was 924. He led the league that year as well. Finished sixth in MVP voting. And then they traded him. And they brought in some pretty heavy hitters that helped them win the World Series, namely Joe Carter. So I love that the crime dog was a Blue Jay for a while and he was uh, you know, a powerful hitter. A 34, 35, 36 home run guy, and then it 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 enabled the Blue Jays to get the pieces they needed to win the World Series. So for me, my favorite is the Crime Dog because he was a Blue Jay, and then what the Blue Jays were able to parlay him into won them World yeah. Series. So for me, um, I loved uh, the Crime Dog. Fred McGriff is my favorite first baseman. I love the nickname too, and that was right around uh, when I was falling in love with the game in the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, and the crime dog Fred McGriff, um, arguably should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, like just the, the the epitome of consistency throughout. You you guys have a game tonight. We don't have long enough to discuss <laughs> who should and shouldn't be in the Hall of yeah. Fame. Uh, th- that trade obviously set the Blue Jays on a new course uh, for history. Um, I love the I love the crime dog, and the, the other cool thing was is we got a ton of Braves games here with uh, TBS. Oh, okay, yeah, right. So we had WGN, we had TBS, and then we had the Cubs WGN, yeah. yeah. So and there were a lot of day games, and then you had some Expos and Blue Jays. So 
we got to, I got to see a lot of Fred McGriff with the with the Braves, and then the Braves were always in the playoffs, and and that was cool. So I love Fred McGriff, uh, but I'm going with Rafael Palmero. Rafi. Rafi. There's another great name. Love the name as a kid. You, you got the crime dog. You got Rafi. Um, s- sweet swinging, uh, clutch. Uh, played the, played defense. You know, was a doubles machine. Um, you know, my best friend growing up, Matty Grossman, the shout out to him, uh, who's a huge Orioles fan and, uh, he absolutely loved Rafi Palmero as well. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with Rafi and just his game that like the, the, the ease at which he played major league baseball was, was, uh, something else to watch. You know, obviously what's happened, uh, since then with some of the things off the field where we're kind of. Unfortunate, he seems to be the scapegoat for a lot of that, but I think it's a Hall of Fame career number-wise. Do you does your opinion of him change because of what happened in his post-playing career? Does that taint him? Like we talked last week about Roberto Alomar and uh, the, the McCain punch commercials were great, but he also had a spitting incident that which I think he did the right thing in in getting passed by making amends with yeah. the umpire, and they like you said they've they've actually gone on to raise a lot of money together, yeah. but Rafael Palmero did not come away from those hearings looking good at all. Among a lot of players, but he yeah. especially was kind of like the, that guy looks the worst right yeah. now. No, you're right, Dino. Um, yeah, it does affect things a little bit. Uh, I still don't know where I stand with the, with the PED stuff. It's not something that, that I ever did in my career. Uh, you know, college career. I'm not trying to compare myself to big league guys, but. But it wasn't something that it was illegal by baseball standards either. True. So there is, it's a, it's a cr- crazy it's a, gray yeah. area. Yeah. And listen, the fact that Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Raphael Palmeiro, like the fact that these guys are being punished for something that was not illegal is a little bit weird in my mind, but also the fact that they did it makes me angry that they, it was morally wrong, but still it's it's a crazy gray area. So I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, what what did you, you know, what did you love about, uh, you know, Rafi Palmero? And uh, the one thing I loved was he seemed to be a pretty intense guy on the field. Yeah. You know, and and it was smooth, the the smooth lefty swing. It's so majestic when he hit bombs, um, consistent production, uh, the doubles, the home runs, and, and the gold glove quality first base play. And the mustache. Uh, well, I was getting to that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's one of the best of all time, right? Um, kind of funny story with Rafael Palmeiro. Uh, recently, within the last year or two, um, he kind of kicked the dust up a little bit, was was flirting with trying to make a comeback to the big leagues, you know, as a you know 50-year-old and trying to come through the, the independent minor leagues in Texas and whatnot and um, I, honestly, it was a little bit of a sideshow, uh, unfortunately, but in his prime before all the, uh, government, uh, Congress type things that went down, uh, he was my favorite. All right. Let's wrap up with then versus now. And, um, we, we like to take things, uh, that have changed, uh, about the game of baseball or, or I guess, or stayed the same. Uh, we, you know, there, there's going to be some things we're going to look at and say, you know, this is the way this has been done for 150 years and, and nothing has changed from then versus now. Uh, but something that has changed in baseball is the globalization of the game. We just saw the Yankees and the Red Sox play in London. We're going to have a Canada Day game tonight for uh, you guys at Remax Field with an international flavor because uh, you have uh, you know, players from around not just North America on your team. Uh, so this is something that is happening and 
Um, I don't know what I, I don't remember growing up seeing. You know, like it, it's it's like the NBA. The second biggest producer of players in the NBA is Canada. Uh, baseball, it's a lot different. You have, um, you know, we, we, we would look at baseball in the past as uh, uh, North America, South America. Uh, well, now you have uh, Asia uh, getting in big time into the game of baseball. And, and they always, you know, have had leagues. Yeah. But now we're going to London for games and things like that. Um, you know, baseball was mainly thought as a Western hemisphere sport for a long time. And now it's kind of going global. You know, with the London series happening and the Yankees and the Red Sox, it's a gr- great opportunity for Major League Baseball to showcase its sport, showcase its athletes, showcase the product. And, and baseball is really, a, at the end of the day, kind of an interactive sport. Like you, you, the fans can show up for the warm up and watch batting practice and, and mull. It, it, it's, it's not like soccer, it's not like hockey, where you're locked in until the, the, the halftime or the period's over and then. You go get your refills and then you come back. It's it's kind of a, a sport that's played within the constructs of your day. You know, you can chit chat about business, about you know what you're doing this weekend, and, and it's really more of a community gathering event. And, and when you get to share that with like-minded people or fans of a team, uh, produces energy and excitement and, and buzz in the crowd. Um, which you don't see at hockey. You're watching the play and something happens, you cheer. Where in baseball, there's always this just this hovering, constant chit-chat going on above the game whilst the game is, is being played. So that series was so cool. I watched the, the first game there, the Yankees-Red Sox, the, the, the absolute marathon game yeah. was crazy. The first inning was like, uh, unbelievable. like over an hour yeah, or something like that. A classic Yankee-Red Sox game. Um, you know, when Ichiro came over, uh, that was kind of the first foray into like the the Asian superstars and what they're capable of doing at at, at uh, the the major league baseball level, and that's opened up a bunch of doors for countless amount of guys that have come over. Um, you know, Latin America has gotten better at the game and, and now produce some of the the most exciting and riveting players in the game, both on and off the field, with their personalities and their athleticism. Um, Canada is a big part of influx of talent into into the minor leagues and, and some guys are making it up to the big leagues and, and that's continued to grow. Um, you know, it, it really is a global game. It's a sport that, um, you know, we've got a player uh, from Japan that, you know, probably doesn't speak a ton of English, uh, but but we're able to communicate through the game. And, and, and Katz does obviously understand some English, but uh, the baseball is a, a language all on its own and you can tell, uh, you can communicate through the game of baseball. So it's uh, been really cool to see. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the game going global and, and growing. Um, deep down inside, I, I really do like the soccer model. I know that it's probably not realistic for hockey and baseball. And some like of these a relegation, you mean? Yeah, and, and, and cups and, and different teams all over the world. Like Real Madrid's as good as, you know, Man City. And, and when they, they show off, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's obviously something special, and now you're involving countries. I really like the WBC. I wish there was a way to have that happen at the peak of guys' performances, which which can't happen in baseball because of arms and and health wise and whatnot. So you kind of get you get a taste of what it could be like early on, and and you know pitchers are limited to what they're able to do. But how cool would that be to see you know a guy like Max Scherzer, you know, pitching for the United States, you know, at the end of August. Um, and being completely f- fully healthy and, and himself versus, you know, Masahiro Tanaka being a 
fully healthy for Japan and, and or Shohei Otani going toe to toe for a hundred pitches. You know, what, what a sight that would be. So, uh, the game's awesome. The fact that it's going global, it will only continue to rise. I think MLB is doing a good job of, of branching out, and, and it'll be the Cubs versus Cardinals next year in London. All right, really quickly, let's talk about that international flavor that, that you guys have. Uh, you were mentioning a player from Japan. That's uh, Katsu, Katsu uh, Takahashi from Hiroshima. Uh, you also have uh, Javier Ramirez from, from Puerto Rico. So it's not just... Canada, uh, United States players, you have some international flavor. How, how did you end up getting in touch with uh, a player from Hiroshima, Japan? Yeah, we, uh, so last year we had a Taiwanese player and, and we, we create a relationship. So through that, um, it, it's such a exponential growth in your ability to connect with people. So, you know, uh, I actually talked to a Japanese agent that's not an agent. He's someone that's in the know that knows players. So for all intents and purposes, it's an agent. You know, it's not professional. So, um, you know, the, the, they talk. More of an advisor. Yeah, basically. And a placement coordinator. Right. You know, hey, we, we know this program. It might be a good fit. Let's get in touch. And then you yeah, go just through a consi- the process. Uh, a go-between for you. Exactly. Uh, the, who who speaks English, uh, which some of these players don't speak well enough that they can have that conversation and get the point across. So... Uh, it went through, it went through kind of a consultant who, who is in the loop with, you know, Japanese college baseball players and, and what they may or may not be able to do. And, uh, through those conversations, uh, a few different options came up and, and, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, signing cats and, and bringing them in and he's, he's been a great guy to have a uh, solid defensive player and, and just, just a really good person and, and funny. And, uh, even though there's language barrier, he's funny. Uh, so it's good. I told you the first game, uh, opening <laughs> night, Rob Zitlau and I are walking into your clubhouse and he's walking out and I asked him, I said, where's Jordan? Do you know where Jordan is? And he just pointed behind him into the clubhouse and I said, do you know which office? And he just put his hands up like, and I'm like, Rob Zitlau's like, I don't think that guy speaks English. And I didn't <laughs> know that you guys had a player from Hiroshima, Japan yeah. on the, on the team or else I probably would like, this is probably not the right guy to ask for <laughs> directions. And I think the only reason he pointed when I said, where's Jordan, is he, Jordan is coach. Yeah. Jordan coach. So he knows that. So is he here by himself? Does he, did he come by with family? Or like, what's the, how do you make that transition for him uh, smoother? Do you guys have a translator? What's the situation? He's here by himself. Um, uh, right, right away we had a feel that, that he, he was comfortable enough, um, was able to communicate in some capacity. It wasn't, wasn't just... We're not both talking to walls here. There, there is some understanding of the language. And when you know what the thing I find funny when you speak to somebody who do, you, you doesn't understand you, you speak louder. Did were you doing that? Be like, how are you today? Yeah, it doesn't matter how loud you speak. I used to do that when I would go to interview athletes, and I would you know, that didn't speak my language, and I was trying going through a translator. I would speak louder. I'm like. Dude, it's not their hearing. They don't understand. So anyway, I, th- I always found that was funny. That seems like a Seinfeld episode yeah, totally, right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, Katz is able to communicate enough where, where we're co- confident that he knows what's going on. Uh, like I said, he's, he's just a great person. I think he actually discovered that he had a relative that wasn't too far away from Edmonton. So he was able to hook up with that person nice. while he's been here. And um, yeah, we're just really, really grateful that, uh, that we were able to bring him to, the, to Edmonton this summer. 
All right. Well, he's going to enjoy Canada Day tonight. Uh, you guys have to get out of here and go enjoy Canada Day and, and get the win as well. So uh, I'd like to thank uh, Jordan for you uh, coming out and, of course, uh, Davis Pratt, who joined us earlier in the show. It's the Canada Day game tonight. Get your tickets at prospectsbaseballclub.com. Also get your tickets for next Sunday's All-Star game and it is you guys are doing a, it's in a weekend event correct yeah, uh, maybe yeah. just to tell everybody what they can expect for the whole weekend yeah we've got uh, we've got a cool thing going on it's called the insanity weekend uh there there we're we've partnered with west edmonton mall so there's there's a couple of cool things going on there dino matt stairs will be in town that night uh, there'll be kind of a meet and greet and, and some opportunity to hang out with with matt stairs um if you've if you've been selected if you won the contest to get into the the, the all-star game insanity weekend there, there's mini golf there's go-karts there's some shopping at well tons of stuff uh there's a little bit of casino stuff going maybe on maybe not a lot of sleep you sleep <laughs> on uh, sunday after the game that's what's insane about it it's that's the right. insanity of it uh <laughs> and then you get some time with with matt stairs as well and, and that was a really cool contest that we went through uh in the off season and um had really good response from our fans and and yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, uh, Matt Stairs is a, is a great dude, um, a perfect guy to be our ambassador, uh, personally, uh, like as an organization, but also for our league. You know, he's he's uh, just just a great human, and uh, we're looking forward to that weekend for sure, Dino. Great stuff, Jordan. Good luck tonight. We'll Thank talk you. to you next week. Thanks. Ban the shift. <laughs> It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game.